Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Rico Daily. I'm Ronnie Mola. If you're a parent of young kids or have kids in your life, you could probably name this show in seconds. It's Coco Melon, a show for kids that started out on YouTube and is now a massive hit on Netflix. In fact, if you head to Netflix's top 10 section, it's almost a guarantee that Coco Melon or another kid show like it is going to be there. And that's because kids' content is dominating streaming services these days. It's certainly popular among my in-laws. Often they'll put it on for my toddler, he'll walk away, and they'll still watch it for hours afterward. But how did shows like Coco Melon get so popular so quickly? And what does that mean for these platforms as a whole? Sarah Fisher, a media reporter for Axios, explains. So kids' content is absolutely exploding, both on streaming, but also traditional television. And a huge part of that, of course, has been the pandemic. Childcare options are limited. Parents are still sometimes working from home. And digital screens, regular screens, they've sort of become the new babysitter. Okay, so this hasn't always been the case. Kids' content wasn't always, like, the most popular thing on Netflix. It's been popular, but not to this extent. There's been a streaming analysis from Parrot Analytics, which measures demand of content, that found that in the past year especially, streaming content has become really hot for kids, in large part because studios picked up on the fact that kids' content was really good for retention for subscribers. And so they started producing more of it, and they started to license more of it. And what they found is the more they invested, the more it helps not just to prevent churn or people getting rid of their streaming subscriptions, but also it helped to actually bring new subscribers in, especially families with younger kids. Okay, so it brought them in in the first place. And you're also saying that the pandemic is largely responsible for this, just the lack of childcare that we've had. Um, I know I have put my toddler in front of a TV and I would have really never done that had I had, you know, daycare or something. Totally. So we're in 2021, almost 2022, and kids' content is killing it. Three of the top 15 shows across streaming platforms are kid shows. And and we got to this a little bit with the pandemic, but why particularly now are these shows at the top? There's this recognition that shows that were born on YouTube can be really good for streaming. And that has been a pandemic pivot. So a great example of that is Cocomelon, which has a partnership with Netflix. Cocomelon was absolutely killing it on YouTube. Netflix saw that rush to stream it on YouTube during the beginning of the pandemic, licensed it out, and now it's become even more popular because it has an even bigger stage. So I think that's one part of it. The other part of it is that for older kids, not necessarily your young infants that are watching Cocomelon, but for older kids, the pandemic became a time where parents invested a lot more in their streaming and their technology. And so 
you're starting to see kids who might not have been as online or as exposed to as much streaming suddenly were during the pandemic. So I think force streaming companies to invest a lot more in this type of content in a way that they might not have if it weren't for the pandemic. Right. And you're also saying that the content itself is really good and maybe better than before. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's just evolved. You know, it used to be that adult content, too, everything was one way, right? You watch something, you consume something, and that was the end of it. But the rise of social media has created a lot more two-way opportunities for people to engage in things. Paw Patrol the movie. Chase, we need you. I'm on my way. New Chase Transforming City Cruiser with lights and sounds. You know, kids are going to watch something. They want to, you know, buy the toy with it. They want to engage in comments. If they're older kids, maybe they're watching it on TikTok and they're engaging with some of the personalities, some of the fans from the show. Hey, guys, we're behind the scenes at the premiere of Manny season six. And we're going to be watching the first three episodes of it. I'm excited. Me too. It was so fun filming. And so these franchises are no longer just sort of these uh, one-to-one relationships. They've become really dynamic, and I think that programming is a lot more powerful. And I think the pandemic forced a lot of children's programmers to think that way a lot more. I speak to this one company a lot in L.A. called Brat TV. They cater to content for older kids. And this is something they talk about constantly. Kids programming is no longer just serving the kids. It's actually building a community with kids. You mentioned specifically Coco Melon and how that was originally on YouTube. Obviously, there's a lot of issues that people have written about YouTube kids and, you know, kind of sticking your kid in front of YouTube and what that means. Why is this content so appealing to a company like Netflix? These types of shows have done really well because they've integrated commerce in a way that's been really great for kids. You know, not saying healthy-wise, it's just that it's something that they really like. You know, if you think about Ryan's Toys is a great example of those types of shows. Hey guys, we're the superhero family. I'm Daddy. And of course, I am really awesome Mommy. I am Ryan. Um, and I'm baby sister twin Emma and Kate. Hello. We're moving into a new neighborhood. Commercialization for kids has always been maybe they were exposed to a television ad when they were watching Nickelodeon. Now it's so much different. It's kids unboxing toys. It's kids playing. We need an upgrade. This is unsafe. Yeah, Daddy, I think we need a better car. And look, it's barely even. There's like no weight on it. Look, I can just do this. No, watch out! Wheels almost came off. And they're watching kids sort of have this commercial relationship that they kind of admire and they really like. So I think that's one thing that's been a huge hit for them. The other, and this is super interesting, if you watch something like Cocomelon, the way that the program is actually produced, the scenes switch so fast. And we saw this with Baby Einstein a few years ago where it was gripping kids and parents couldn't figure out why they were so hooked. Coco Melon is a very similar thing. The scenes switch every few seconds. It's very bright. It's very visible. The songs are very catchy. And so this is content that's not just meant to entertain kids, but physically really hook them. And that's different from when we were growing up as kids and maybe you were watching Barney on linear TV. Barney wasn't meant to make you obsessed, hooked, watch for hours on end. This type of content that's built for YouTube is. Which leads me to my next question. Like, 
is this bad for kids, right? Like, I, I feel like every doctor in the world tells you not to put a kid in front of a screen. And now we're talking about how this is like really good for the commercialization of these TV shows and how it's hooking them with bright colors and quick scene changes. Have you heard anything about how this could affect children's health? Yes, absolutely. And we talked to the Parents' Television Council a lot about this at Axios. One of the things that they say is that, look, screen time, like anything, it just needs to be done in moderation and with oversight. The problem with some of these algorithmically distributed content platforms like YouTube is that your kid might be watching something that's totally great one second, and then the video that's queued up to be recommended to them next might not be as informative, might not be as child safe as you would want it to be as a parent. One of the things that they say parents should lean into more is really leaning into parental controls, time settings, making sure that there's really active engagement in how the parent is controlling what the kids watch can be really helpful. But the other side of this that I just want to point out about kids' screen time is not all screen time is the same. So you have some parents who will look at things like Roblox and say, my kid is playing a history game with their friends on Roblox that's informative, that's educational, maybe that's good. Or for example, for people who are still wary about their kids not being vaccinated, screen time can be a way that they can socialize with friends without parents have to worry about potentially exposing their kids. So yes, increased screen time provides a lot of risks and parents need to be more vigilant according to experts, but it also provides opportunities. And so parents should be aware of the opportunities as well. So right now we see this kids content driving up streaming subscriptions across the board. Do you think this is going to continue or we're going to hit a wall? I think everything in streaming, you eventually hit a wall. We're seeing streamers point to saturation, especially in the U.S. But I think that they're going to continue to see that streamers invest in kids' content now because it's a moment in time that we're not going back to, right? Now that kids have been exposed to some of their favorite shows and they're streaming more, it's unlikely that they're just going to stop being interested in it. To your point, Ronnie, I just pulled up a stat about how impactful kids' content has been for streaming. Viacom CBS Bob Backish told investors on their last quarterly earnings report that kids and family content was a top genre, both for acquisition and for engagement for the quarter for Viacom CBS. And he pointed to two shows in particular, which were SpongeBob SquarePants and Paw Patrol. So if that's the stuff that, you know, streaming executives are seeing, I don't think they're going to stop investing in it. And if they're not going to stop investing in it, I don't think kids are going to stop watching. Got it. And, and you mentioned before how kids' content is actually evolving, how it's not the stuff that you and I grew up watching. How is it going to keep evolving in the future? Where is it going next? Great question. For one, I think we think about kids' content as more multi-franchise, multi-platform franchises. So if you take a look at Cocomelon, not only is it a huge hit on YouTube, but it's being licensed to Netflix. And it also has live shows that you can go out to see in person. You can buy Cocomelon toys. I think a lot more people are thinking about kids' content as these broad, big franchises than ever before. And I also think, going back to the point earlier, the commercialization of kids' content is going to continue to be a big thing. Figuring out how you're going to get kids hooked, but also how you're going to get them to buy toys and to buy into sort of the digital franchises is going to be absolutely huge. Well, this is fascinating and a little terrifying to me. Um, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. My name is Ronnie Mola. Thank you for tuning in to Recode Daily. This episode was produced by Tori Dominguez and engineered by Melissa Pones from Hemlock Creek Productions. If there's a story you want us to cover, make sure to let us know. Email us at recodedaily at recode.net.